You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Great to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Steve Marici, and uh, I want to take the opportunity to welcome you here today. Uh, for those of you that don't know, this is a once-a-month occurrence for us here in South Bay, and that we're now two individual campuses, both South Bay Campus North and South Bay Campus South. So uh, I really appreciate these times together, our, our worship team, every aspect of this. Do want to start out by thanking our tech team and our worship team for all the effort that goes into making these days come off. I want to give out a shout out to my niece Taylor, who's got a bunch of her friends from uh, the Lighthouse Church visiting here with us this morning. And uh, Mike and Libby heard that we were uh, having a rib cook-off and a mac and cheese cook-off, so they're here joining us this morning as well. Super grateful to have them with us. And if uh, you haven't heard about what's going on today, and this is your first time here, please stick around afterwards. Uh, We've got all kinds of food. Uh, Again, ribs, mac and cheese, more comfort food than you know what to do with. I know I'm going to get my allocation of carbs for the entire month in this one meal today. But uh, really, uh, I'm thinking about lunch. I don't know about you guys. So I'll try and get through this a little bit quicker here this morning. Amen? Mike, you keep it down, man. Anyways, uh, I do want to start off with a prayer, and I want to give a shout out to Stephanie Williams. She's uh, one of the individuals I'm going to be praying for this morning. I think most of you know about our friends, the Thurston's, and their son, Jacob. Uh, He's still on life support, still on a ventilator, but there's still small incremental steps of progress, so we want to keep praying for him. And then Steve Lounsbury has been in and out of the hospital several times this past week, Uh, was picked up by an ambulance and brought there. Saturday, I believe, yes, early Saturday morning, and uh, he's got some major, major back issues. Uh, Looks like he'll be probably having surgery for that this week. So if you could uh, keep Steve Lounsbury and the family in your prayers, I would greatly appreciate that. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads. Well, Father, uh, I want to thank you for another day in your kingdom. I want to thank you for what an amazing God you are, uh, that you're mindful of us, that uh, you took that to such an extreme by sending your son Jesus Christ to die for us, which gives us the opportunity to call on you as our Father in heaven. But I do want to petition you on behalf of Stephanie uh, that she'll have a continued recovery from her surgery, uh, that that recovery will lead to wholeness and to healing, and that with the doctors that are involved in her prognosis right now, I pray that you will continue to give them a greater sense of clarity and the direction on how to speed that recovery along for her. Father, I pray that as this prayer goes up, this is an encouragement to her this morning. Pray for Eric and Judy Thurston and their son Jacob. Please comfort the parents during this very challenging time. And Father, uh, I just pray for Jacob. There, There is so much life left ahead of him. And God, we know that you are our God of miracles, and that's what we're beseeching you on on Jacob's behalf right now. And for Steve, uh, Father, he's just become such an incredible addition to our coastal Los Angeles region. Uh, Visiting him yesterday, uh, very concerning the degree of pain that that he's in, and and again, the challenge that can represent for his family. Uh, I pray whatever the direction is that we go forward with, that he's given 100% recovery. And I, I know the thing that he's super concerned with is his family but every bit as much so the flock that he's entrusted with there on the west side. Father, again, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, there's been a couple different series going on in our two different campuses, but there's a lot of things that they have in common. Uh, Brian Craig has been working on faithful friendships. Uh, 
with a uh, book that was entitled The Power of Encouragement by, I believe it's Larry Crabb. And then Justin had been working on a series that was entitled Together and ultimately discussing, based on Acts 2, what this family should look like, what we're devoted to, being devoted to God in prayer and the communion and one another, and the impact that that was able to have, and how God wants us to have this incredible purpose in life. You know, ultimately, what does God want us to do together as faithful friends? What does he want from each of us as disciples of Jesus Christ? Well, there's been a lot of songs that have been pointing that direction this morning, and ultimately, it's for us to rise. For us to rise to the occasion, rise to the need, rise to live life to the full, rise and ultimately be transformed to live for God, which is a, a, a greater purpose than so much of what we see going on in the world today. Uh, with the basis of what we've been dealing with with Acts 2, our primary focus this morning is taking a little bit further into the book of Acts. Uh, our, our predominant passage this morning will be Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. Please turn with me there. Acts 3, verse 1 through 10. In verse 1, give me an amen when you get there. It says, Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex at the hour of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. You know, one of the things that we could see very much so in the early church, and the thing that was modeled for each and every one of the disciples, getting back to Acts 2, that being devoted to prayer, what does that look like? So we see in verse 1 that this is exactly what Peter and John were setting time aside for. Now with the Jews, prayer was something that was built specifically into various times during the day. Peter and John were these incredibly faithful prayer warriors. Now even though they're Christians, they still adhere to something that I think we don't spend enough time with, and that's prayer. The Jews observed three specific prayer times during the course of the day. There was a third hour, which was 9 a.m., the sixth hour, which was 12 noon, and the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. For those of you in the uh, North Campus, does 242 mean anything? Yeah. It has been awesome. I super appreciate the charge that Dustin gave us coming out of Acts 242. And that, you know, I, I just sat down that day when he gave us a direction, and I put it in my phone, set the alarm. And it's been amazing, 2.42 every day that thing goes off, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we pause, we give time to sit there, stand there, wherever it is we are, and pray to God. And I know there's so many of you have been doing the same thing. I appreciate the way disciples use WhatsApp, and that there's so much prayer going on, prayer requests, specific things being asked for, specific things being prayed for. And it's awesome to know we've got prayer warriors in this group as well. Amen? But we all need to be more like Peter and John. Let's go ahead and continue in verse 2. Verse 2, it says, There was a man who was lame from birth. He was carried there and placed every day at the temple gate called Beautiful so he could beg from those entering the temple complex. You know, this individual had become a very familiar sight to those who would visit the temple on a daily basis. His friends would take him there, deposit him at the gate every single day, and leave him there at the gate called Beautiful so he could beg and find some means of deriving 
money so he could sustain his life. And it would be the, from those who entered the temple every day. According to verse 2, that condition had been something that he had been born with. And you think about this, parents. Imagine a child that never has the opportunity to pull himself up and walk. Imagine this child that never ran, that never had the opportunity to play sports, to hang out with his buddies, to climb trees, and to do all the things that children do. And this had been his condition for his entire life. You know, back then there were no schools that specialized in, in special training to help him overcome his disability. Because his legs and his feet had no strength, the Jewish society had, focused, had forced him to be this beggar outside of the temple, totally dependent upon whatever mercy and compassion would come towards his way for survival. You know, and the fact that this man was outwardly crippled was very obvious when it came to these years of dependency on everyone else. I'm sure that the years of that begging had taken an emotional toll on him, destroying his self-esteem, his self-worth. You can imagine how, what a low opinion he must have had about himself, so much so that he couldn't even make eye contact with the people that walked through there on a daily basis. You know, I think this is reminiscent of a lot about what we see in the world today. The world in general suffers from a lack of self-worth. We see it in the media, we see it on social media, the TV, everywhere we go, we see it in the news. And you know, and I, for me, before I became a Christian, this is exactly who I was. I suffered from social withdrawal. Back then, I didn't have any social media that I could engage in to kind of see what was going on outside the world. So I literally withdrew and I hid behind the covers of books for a good portion of my young adult years. There was a lack of social skills. There was no self-confidence. I would tell myself negative stories about what I imagined other people were thinking and saying about me. And I was afraid to take on challenges and try new things because ultimately, with that lack of self-esteem and self-confidence, whoops, I've got my own, I'll fix that one later. But with that lack of self-confidence, I was afraid to try anything because ultimately I believed I would fail at anything new that I went after. You know, I think it's interesting, even as a Christian today, and even with the relationship that I have with God today, there are still times today where I can tell myself those same stories. You know, psychology today listed the characteristics of low self-esteem, social withdrawal, anxiety, and emotional turmoil, lack of social skills and self-confidence, depression, bouts of sadness, eating disorders, an inability to accept compliments, accentuating the negative, an exaggerated concern over what you imagine other people think about you, self-neglect, reluctance to take on challenges, expecting little out of life for yourself. And then they went on to go on and give us a list of some just basic human needs. For anyone to be psychologically and physically healthy, these core needs are something that need to be fulfilled. The need to give and receive attention. The need for meaning, purpose, and goals in life. The need for a connection to something greater than ourselves. In psychology, psychology today, it's just amazing that this is one of the things that's significant for men and women. It's in our DNA. 
The need for creativity and stimulation, the need for intimacy and connection to others, the need for a sense of status and recognition from others, and the need for a sense of safety and security. You know, in looking at those particular needs, this is one of the things that excites me the most about being a disciple in the direction that we get from God. If we truly are a Christian involved in Christian family, involved in discipling, aren't those needs something that are met within God's kingdom? That wasn't a very resounding, yes, I heard my wife up front. And, And here's the thing, if you don't feel that way, you've got to ask yourself, understanding the relationships take two people or more. We've got to be willing to take those steps and be involved in one another's lives. You know, we see it in a lot of different areas that the church participates in, in community service, again, praying together, coming together for functions like this, and the friendships that come out of it, if we're willing to be vested. With this, in verse 4, actually, uh, let's pick it up in verse 3. says, when he saw Peter and John, this is the beggar, about to enter the temple complex, he asked for help. Sometimes that's where it starts in a relationship, right? In verse 4 it says, Peter along with John looked at him intently and said, look at us. You know, and I've read this passage somewhere in the realm of 100 to 200 times, maybe more. And it's, it's interesting, out of all the things in chapter 3 in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit, when I read this, I heard this resonate in my head. Look at us! You know, and I, I, I was kind of perplexed as to why it was so strong when I read it. So I, I really thought it through. And I, I really believe personally, knowing Peter... And Peter's interaction, he could be kind of a loud and sometimes obnoxious, uh, you know, there were, there, were, there were issues, you know, carving off people's ears, cursing people. I don't think he looked at this, this beggar sitting there at the gate and said, hey, dude, look at us. He demanded this guy's attention. I believe the words were authoritative. I believe that it was engaging. And that they stirred this sense of expectancy within the man who was expecting to receive something. The words of Peter demonstrated that he had amazing confidence that he himself belonged to God, that he himself was God's representative. And Peter had a plan to help the man. Peter had a genuine faith that God would help him to meet the need of this beggar. And the other thing I love about Peter is Peter had a willingness to act to reach out by faith and meet that need. Let's take a look at Matthew 15, verse 14. For those of you that uh, are into travel, that uh, is a castle on top of a hill in some place in Russia I can't pronounce, so there you have it. Matthew 5, verse 14. says, you are the light of a world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Why? So they will praise your Father in heaven. 
Look at us. I think as Christians, as disciples, based on what we see in this passage in Matthew 5, people need to look at us. We need to be willing to call people to look at us. You know, and I do believe there was a point in time in the church where we were incredibly arrogant. There was a degree of pride that took it to a level that was unhealthy. But in this world needing contrast, in this world of darkness, in this world that needs light, where are they going to find it? They need to look at us. Look at our work ethic in the job place. Look at our interaction and making a difference in our neighborhoods. Look at our community service. Look at our purity. Look at our faith. Look at our hope. Look at us living out our God-given purpose. Look at our fruitful financial sacrifice. I mean, it was so encouraging to hear the impact that we're continuing to have, not just within our local community, but within the Middle East, within Mexico and Central America. I was so encouraged to go back and take a look at some of the stats, and it's mind-boggling for me, looking at Mexico and Central America, knowing that that mission team was set out with 13 people in 1987, that there are 43 churches today in Mexico and Central America with over 8,000 disciples. People need to look at that. They need to see that as Christians, we can be a light to a lost world. Look at Jesus Christ in me. When Peter said to that beggar, look at us, I believe that's totally what he was trying to draw this guy's attention to. Look at us. I am a man that the Holy Spirit inhabits, and before God, I look exactly like his son, Jesus Christ. Look at me. So again, the very first thing that Peter demanded from the man was to look at him, to look at John. And you can bet Peter probably had his attention at this point, right? In verse 5 it says, so he turned to them, this is the beggar, expecting to get something from them. You know, what do you think this guy's greatest hope was at this point? Yeah, you know, they were going to dig down into their tunics and find some coinage and drop it in his cup, right? And then he just would go on, continue to be this lowly beggar for the rest of his life. And you think about this guy sitting there. You know, most people probably handle like we can sometimes when we see homeless people. Just go on by. You know, one of the things I love when we, we have our community service programs, the thing that seems to have more of an impact on those people that we come into contact with is contact, connectivity, people that are willing to talk and engage them. You know, with this guy, I'm sure people laughed at him. He may have been spit upon. But there wasn't anybody that was interested in actually interacting with him. But we see here in verse 5, he was expectant. Did he receive what he expected? No, but at least he was expecting, Right? It said that as Christians, you know, it's really sad to think this through. I think sometimes we live today individually with no expectation of God working in us and through us and for us. No expectation for ourselves and for others. 
And what we've got to do is we've got to get beyond that because that's Satan's plan. That's what Satan wants us to think. If he can keep a disciple of Christ trapped in and with a low, mediocre expectation of life, then Satan has achieved a great victory. Because without purpose and vision, we fail to act and live faithfully, which can put us in danger of eventually perishing. In verse 6, Peter says to him, I don't have silver or gold. Peter's telling the beggar here, you know what? Bottom line is I can't give you what I don't have. I can't give you gold. I can't give you silver. But I can give you something of far greater worth. Peter says, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. What did the apostles have here that was better than gold or silver? I think to get a better understanding of that, please turn with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 9. Psalm 19, verse 9. says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there's a great reward. And then in Psalm 119, verse 72, the law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. You know, what we see here is God's word. God tells us that his words are more precious than gold. You know, you look at the first part of Psalm 19, verse 10, more precious than gold, than much pure gold. And the word translated precious is a word that describes something more desirable, something that a person takes an incredible delight in. And just really even thinking that through ourselves when we get up in the morning, is that how we feel about the Bible? Is that how we feel about God's Word? That it's more precious to us than anything in our lives, more precious than our job, more precious than our car, more precious than whatever it is that you want to label. You know, and just even thinking that through, today we measure gold in carats. Can anybody tell me with 10-carat uh, gold, what percentage of that is actually gold? Any jewelers in the, big, in the mix? I used to be when I was back in my teens and 20s. 10-carat gold, guys, is uh, a lot more metal than it is gold. It's 41.7%. 18-carat gold has twice the gold content of that. 75%. 22-karat gold gets you up to 91.6. 24-karat gold is 99.9% pure gold. Just to put that into significance, God's words are more precious than gold, and not just any kind of gold, but pure gold. Acts 3, verse 6. You know, the power of God's word is exactly what we see in Acts 3, verse 6. It says, we see Peter again, in the name of Jesus the Nazarene, get up and walk. And then in verse 7 it says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and legs and ankles became strong. I mean, this is amazing. For the first time in this man's life, he had life and feeling in dead feet. For the first time in his life, he had the ability to stand up on his own two feet. And for the very first time, he did what all of his childhood friends likely did by their first birthday. He took his first step in life, and then another, and another, 
And pretty soon, he just wasn't walking. He was jumping and praising God. You know, here's something that I've missed in the past when I've read through this text. But not only had the beggar's feet been healed, but his spirit had been healed as well. In verse 8, it tells us his feet took him to a place that he had never been before. And this is, for me, it was kind of one of those aha moments. Can you imagine being, some, being at this place, the gate called Beautiful, the entrance to the temple where you would go in and worship, and all he saw was the spot that he was seated in outside the temple, never having had an opportunity to go in and worship. Verse 8 says, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk, then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So for the very first time in his life, he's got this incredible new outlook. His heart was overflowing with joy and gladness. He was healed, no longer viewed by society as unclean. For the first time ever, he was able to worship and praise God with everyone else, not from the outside of the temple, but inside. He was able to rise up and worship, rise to live life to the full, rise and be transformed. You know, when the people inside the temple saw him at this point, they didn't see this lowly, crippled beggar. They saw a man who used to be a beggar, but now because of the transforming power of Jesus Christ, this man had been made whole in mind, body, and spirit. How many of us can say that we've experienced that, looking at our lives before, pushing those lives behind us, deciding to make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, being baptized for the forgiveness of sin, and experiencing that transformation? I don't know about you, it was amazing for me. If it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be on my way to 35 years of marriage with my wife Jacqueline. We were on the, ver we were on the verge of divorce two years in. But that's the transforming power of God. That's the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You know, we've just got to be careful that we don't lose sight of God's word and prayer and the need for one another because it doesn't take much to start drifting and slip right back into being crippled and in need of being made whole. Paul tells us in Romans 3.23, he puts it into perspective when it comes to what is significant in life and how God has been mindful of us and then in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were all, prior to entering those waters of baptism, like the beggar at the gate. We were helpless and powerless, spiritually crippled without Christ. And really understanding that for us and for the world, salvation is our most basic need. Our society today is crippled. Crippled morals, marriages, relationships. Our society is crippled by perversion. Abortion continues to claim innocent lives. Pornography continues to destroy homes. Sexual sin is a way of life for billions of people. People are crippled by alcohol and drug abuse. You know, we spent probably somewhere in the realm of 10 hours the last, this past week at Jacob's bedside due to an opioid overdose. You know, we know it's an epidemic in this, in this country today. I never thought that I would be dealing with someone so close to me that had that kind of a challenge. 18 years old. People are crippled with negative attitudes, thoughts, anger, hatred, resentment, prejudice, bitterness, and an inability to forgive. And only Jesus Christ can bring the healing that we need. 
Not only is society crippled, but again, I think in some ways it can affect us inside the church today. We don't have to have lifeless, dead feet in order to be crippled. There are many things that can cripple us in life. You know, have you been crippled by maybe a child, a painful childhood? Maybe you've been crippled by guilt or hurt or disappointment or physical pain, mental or emotional pain. You know, maybe, maybe you're relatively new with us and you've been studying the Bible and you feel like you'll never be able to forgive yourself or accept God's forgiveness and grace for some of the things that you've done in your past. Crippled by unbelief, blinded by the comforts of this world and success. And really understanding we are not able to rise up and walk until we first allow God's Word and the Holy Spirit to work these issues out in us individually. We must learn how to release our pain and challenges to the Lord and fight for one another in prayer and fight alongside of each other. Amen? When that happens, we'll see what we read about in Acts 2. This devotion something bigger than themselves. Impact that was something bigger than themselves. To be able to take that small group of Christians and once they had it down and those relationships were there, what do we see happen with it? Do they keep it to themselves? It spread throughout the known world because it wasn't something that could be contained. See, when this happens, we'll rise up and we'll walk and fulfill our real purpose and our spiritual calling. In obedience to God, we allow God to provide opportunities for good works for us. We see that in Ephesians 2, verse 10. And Peter and John, in obedience to God, were where they needed to be when God wanted to work. They were walking in obedience to God. In Acts 3, verse 1, again, it says, Now Peter and John were going up together to the temple complex. Now what would have happened if they hadn't felt like going to the temple that day? This is pretty huge. This is where and when the church experienced its first miracle. Not through Jesus, but through men of Christ. That is huge. God's power would not have been manifested if they had not been there. A man would not have been healed. A testimony would not have been shared. But because Peter and John were obedient and went to the temple as God commanded, they were used by God to perform a miracle. Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, so there are days where I can be a little perplexed or puzzled as to why it doesn't feel like God is working in my life. Any of you ever experienced that at all? Never. <laughs> you know, it gives me pause to think through my perspective and the direction I'm going in. Am I moving with God or am I moving away from God? 
And we need, we need to ask ourselves that, brothers and sisters. Are we moving away from him and our brothers and sisters? Or are we moving towards God, deepening our relationship with him and one another? You know, I really want to commend the South Bay Live Ministry. Amen. To me, it's just been, one of the things that I appreciate the most is just seeing the way these relationships are deepening. Uh, sometimes I find WhatsApp a little annoying. I just want to put it out there. <laughs> So you get these threads, but the thing that's amazing is there's this incredible chatter, this incredible degree of interaction, and then you see what's going on verbally manifesting itself in, hey, somebody needs help moving. Somebody's going to be, you know, we're going to be going out and feeding the homeless. We got this sister's encouragement day or this brother's encouragement night, and there's all these incredible things happening in our alive singles ministry. I love it. I think that's what we see in, in Hebrews 10. Yeah. See, God knew that in obedience, Peter and John were going to have an incredible impact. That time of prayer, setting aside that specific time for worship, they prioritized their time with God. So God's sovereign purpose was to place that man, that crippled man, in Peter and John's path. You know, again, if they'd had a, a possessed a careless attitude and said, I've got more important things to do, or I'm too tired, you know, I'm going to take a pass on this one, I'll get the, uh, you know, the, the, the tw sixth hour, I'm burnt out on life, they would have missed God's marvelous grace and mercy to be manifested in this handicapped man's life. So brothers and sisters, if we're not careful, we become careless and not purposeful with the transformed lives that we've been given. We too can miss the opportunities that God has placed in our lives. This man was laid daily at the temple gate in order for that man to receive God's benefit and God's grace and mercy, Peter and John had to be the ones to go up to the temple. There was no other path that they could have walked that would have caused them to come into contact with that man. I want us to think about that for a moment. When you're out and about, you see your neighbors. Which path do you take? When you're in the workplace and maybe there's coarse joking going on, what path do you take? When people aren't looking at you, you're not in direct observation from someone, what path do you take? Because just knowing that God has got a purpose established for you each and every second of each and every day. Let's remember who we are and what we're capable of. I'm going to close in Philippians 4, verse 13. Philippians 4, verse 13. Think about the path that we're on, and then hang on to this passage. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know, we look at this world today, there are billions of people in the world that are in the same position as this man who laid outside of that gate called beautiful. Each one of those individuals thrust his or her hand out with hope of receiving a bit of money that will get them through another day. But like Peter and John, we have something so much more valuable than all the riches in the world to offer those people. The blessing that we can give people won't just get them their next meal. It will feed them until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can take a, a, a snapshot of this next slide. But I, I want us to really think this through. 
and to pray that God, or God through one of your friends, will make it clear to you if there's an area in your life that Satan has you believing that you're handicapped and has been incapacitating you. Go to God and go to your friends in those areas so that you can really think through and get help changing in whatever area that is. Once that's been established, look to God, his word, prayer, and others in his kingdom and allow yourselves to be transformed, amen? With God's word, Jesus Christ is Lord, we can do so many amazing things. All we've got to be willing to do is to rise, amen? Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.